Hello, and welcome to New 5R versus Old 5R, the quarterly podcast where we compare and contrast the old lore versus the new lore of L5R. I'm your host, Bren. I'm Bill Richardson. I've been uh, dealing with uh, L5R since the 90s. Started with the CCG, and then moved to the uh, RPG. And with us, we have two guests, Marie Brennan. Uh, hi, I'm Marie Brennan. I am a fantasy novelist and short story writer. I also write with my friend Alice Helms under the name M.A. Carrick. But most relevantly for this context, uh, I have written for the fourth edition role playing game of L5R. And then I got involved with the fiction storyline, starting with uh, Fantasy Flight's iteration of things, wrote a novella, The Eternal Knot, a novel, The Night Parade of 100 Demons, and its sequel, The Game of 100 Candles, that's coming out next February. Mm-hmm. And Alex Jacobs. Hi, new friends. Um, my name is Alex. I've been involved with L5R as a fan since about 2003. Um, started with the RPG, played a LARP, uh, wrote some modules for Heroes of Rokugan. Uh, now I'm currently the head dragon writer for the Emerald Legacy uh, ongoing fan-supported game. Cool, cool. Nice. Yeah, my, my background, I started about the time Fantasy Flight bought the the rights to L5R, and so I'm the newest. I thought for a moment I would be the newest because I've only been involved for maybe a little less than a decade. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been involved a lot less. I I started like my first experience with it was uh, the Spoonie Ones video where he talked about his experience with getting into an L5R game, which is uh, I agree with Trevor Cuba that is the way you do not introduce people to L5R. <laughs> It, 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 long story short he got challenged to a duel by another player and was killed outright because it was a crane and that's what crane do oh <laughs> no doing it wrong it was for yeah and it was for real bad reasons like not ex, not refusing tea three times oh god i yeah. i hear that this exists and every time i go wait seriously people actually no no don't do it that way no don't yeah, especially if it's and, an, a new new person i know yeah so in other yeah. words i'm the old man here mm-hmm. being with it since the 90s oh jeez, <laughs> now i feel real old <laughs> Yeah. So, and, and today we are going to compare and contrast the Dragon Clan lore. Uh, there was a lot of changes that literally just came out in. I don't. Well, I'm going to include this in the new lore. Is I'm going to include uh, 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 Adventures in Rokugan, uh, which our actual play should be out tomorrow, but this is coming out like a month after that. <laughs> with uh spoot with uh um robert denton and shay from jane robert denton who's another writer for l5r and does the last province and jay and shay ramsey from the jade throne (laughs) i can only get names right right now but i'm so yeah um so let's talk about um the purpose of the dragon clan for old 5r and new 5r right now it would be lovely if we could actually nail down what that is <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the correct answer that is that's, the correct answer that's it the dragon clan were the enigma you you don't know exactly why because they were all up in their mountains all on their own doing their thing and everyone's like 
What's going on? We don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the Dragon Clan, when you're talking about the old lore, it's the place where, for me at least, it shows up the most obviously that the setting wasn't designed for the length of thing it wound up being. It was designed to be telling this story building up to the Day of Thunder, and things were built with that in mind, and then it was so successful and it kept going. And so there were certain narrative things, like the Dragon Clan being the enigma of they sit up in their mountains and they don't involve themselves until that moment comes. And now that moment has come and gone. And that was probably, of all the great clans, I think the least sustainable shtick for anybody to have, because now it's going forward and what do you do with them? The yeah, thing is, they were Switzerland of, o- of Rokugan. Mm-hmm. They were the yeah, they're, they're Switzerland in a game that is built around the clans getting involved with each other. <laughs> yeah. My, my understanding uh, is that, Marie, what you're saying, that was actually AEG's official position, that they were specifically going to end L5R. And then, as you said, when it was so successful, they just kind of kept going. And not to criticize people, you know, 20 years ago doing the best they could with what they had. But I think the best storyline at the time would have been if they brought that in character and had all the dragon themselves saying, wait, what do we do now? Yeah. And I remember, um, this is jumping to the end of old lore, but right before the sale happened, there was some stuff that AEG was planning where I think it was the the Mantis were going to be like disbanded as a clan or something due to thus and such and other things in tournaments. And there was discussion about how, frankly, the like be disbanded as a clan and go forth and quest to find out who you're going to be going forward would have actually been a great story for the dragon. They were you know, trying to inflict that on the wrong clan. <laughs> Yeah, like uh, one of my favorite quotes, and I wish I remembered where I read this and who said it, but it was a quote from a mangaka. And uh, the mangaka quote was like, writing a manga is like a child telling a lie. You have to keep keep compounding this lie over and over again until it just gets out of control and you can't tell the lie anymore. That's certainly a way of approaching it. I mean, I like stories that are are well structured, but I see how you yeah. wind up in that situation. <laughs> yeah, and I, I I feel well. I think the L five R story, due to it, like it pretty much. I I don't want to say FFG had a little bit more con- reins on it. Oh yeah, I want to say than AEG, but AEG also had it like I've heard stories of the yeah, well, I don't know. I wasn't involved in old four five R that much. The thing is, what is the story you've heard, Bren, that you're trying to bring up? Oh, just the stuff that uh, Robert Denton said, you know, oh. just like how okay, story decisions could either majorly affect it or you could just get corrupt the dog. <laughs> It it yeah. was somewhat because a lot of the major tournaments for the CCG or L, yeah, the CCG would have an effect on the storyline. And as Marie said, everything was leading up to the Day of Thunder. But there were so many people that were enjoying the card game, enjoying all of that, that they're like, oh, we've got to put more stuff out. And as you look, if you look at the CCG, as it goes on, start with Imperial, then uh, Jade, Obsidian, all, all the different editions. And I know I don't have those in the correct order except for Imperial. The, they're trying to make changes to how it was run that turned a, 
some people off because, oh, this change is way out of out there. Some of it was good changes, as Marie was saying with the uh, the Mantis, the fact that they became Eurotoma's alliance, became the clan with the Mantis, the Wasp, um, the Centipede, and that. Yeah, well, and I think one of the other ways that you see the setup of the game causing problems for the lore in the story is because things were constrained to the structure of the card game, right? And so this shows up with stuff like, um, you know, the the Shadowlands Horde and the things that happen along the way with that becoming the Spider Clan and so forth was partly driven, or in some cases, my impression is largely driven by them trying to find ways to make that work as a faction like the other factions. And so when we were talking about, okay, after the Day of Thunder, it would have been a really interesting thing to to do narratively for the dragon to say, all right, now it is the, you fulfilled your purpose, what now? Except that the some of the ways that you would do that narratively, I think wouldn't play well with the, but you're also a faction in a card game. Because doing things like, you know, maybe the dragon clan just like disbanded itself and said, okay, clan's purpose is done, no more dragon clan, but then what do you do with your faction, right? Like, you get constrained by the structure of the game in ways that affect the story sometimes negatively. Well, we also have to remember how new these things were at the time. Like um, yeah. Ben Riggs, who has the Plot Points podcast, has this good point. If you compare the development of RPGs with the development of film, then timeline-wise, we're, we're just at the point where sound was cr- invented. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. That so, makes, yeah, that you go back 20 years sense. ago when this stuff was happening, and they're going to make a lot of mistakes on it. One of the big ones was they didn't know how to write stories. And so, <laughs> what, where do you go to write stories? Well, you go to authors, you, go, you look at books. And we, we know now that writing a game, let alone a game with fan involvement, is very different than writing a novel where you have 100% control over everything. Uh, and so, some like, um, I think about uh, spoilers here for a 15-year-old video game, um, Prince of Persia 2, the uh, the Xbox one, not the old computer game. Um, you win the game when you walk away from the final fight. Like That's the only way to win, which is a great ending for a novel, but is very unsatisfying in a video game. We're, I actually uh, kind of love it, but... Yeah. Yeah. But for most people, where the whole yeah. reward from playing the game, the whole times you get better powers and better weapons and can do cooler stuff... Walking away and not confusing it, that is very anticlimactic, which of course yeah. is the point in a novel. So if again, if you were writing a novel of an alternative day of thunder and afterwards, like you took it from some drag like um who was the draft? Togashi Masoto, uh, who was all right, so let's get into the old old lore here. Um in the old lore, the uh the champion's spirit passed down from one tattooed monk to another, but only certain monks could host a spirit called Tamashi. And Togashi Mitsu was supposed to be one of them. And then he, tr- after Togashi died during the original Day of Thunder, they find another Tamashi is born. There's a, this is a big question of what does this mean? What is he here for? Which, again, in a novel, you could do a lot from that perspective. The game didn't know what to do with it because that's not a thing players can really do. Actually, actually the thing is, Togashi was the head of the Dragon Clan. Until his son, Togashi uh, Hoshi. Yeah, they Togashi every so often, quote unquote, died and got replaced. But it was Togashi. 
Right. There were there are two different versions of it in old lore, and that's one of the problems, one of the several problems the Dragon Clan had was what was going on with Togashi got retconned partway through, and a lot of fans, I think somewhat justifiably, hated the retcon. Because, yes, I, as I understand it, originally, he was just he stayed around and, you know, kind of like hit himself in the armor and so on. And so, you know, went through some hoops to make people not realize it was him the whole time. But the whole thing with the Tamashi and him like body hopping into other people, that was the retcon. And it really changed sort of, number one, like how people viewed Togashi as a person. But then it also made things like the Day of Thunder where the Black Scroll was inside him. It's like, but mm-hmm. if you were body hopping, how did that even work? Like, so it also yeah. just made hash of the logic. Does that mean that the Marie, the, the, the real scroll was in your heart all along? <laughs> yes, the real black scroll was the enemies we made along the way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I just looked that up. That that game that manga came out in 1997. Yeah, it'd be a little bit uh, after. Uh, oh, five hours. Sorry. Yeah, that that's that's how old One Piece is. It's just, I, I was talking about it with a friend. Sorry to get off topic at work. And she's only a year older than that manga, and she's managing our oh, our, comp- our small company. Don't say things like that. I know. <laughs> the thing is, the fact that you say she's only a year older than that manga, I'm going. Oh God, how many years older am I? A lot. Over twenty, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, but but as Alex was mentioning, the when the it started, you're right. Okay, writing for RPGs. Really, the only thing you had to look back at was D and D, because that was one of the original RPGs. So yeah, so you're you're trying to write a world, create this realm. And you've got Dungeons and Dragons to look at as this is what's there, but you want something new, something different that will appeal to other people. So and, uh, to add on in, that, I, I view like the original L5R first edition was like they were trying to go as far away from the the loot and yeah. kill things and take their stuff type of gameplay that was known at the t- at for Dungeons and Dragons and I I I haven't read first edition in a while I read the scorpion book which in our scorpion episode I will bash to all get out <laughs> that that was like what is wrong with this writer <laughs> you had to look the and time I, frame yeah. yeah but anyways that that's beside the point well I think yeah. If we put this in the the temporal context, like I, there were a number of things happening in the '90s that were all basically trying to figure out how to do this role playing game thing, but not the way that D and D did it. Because you also had like Vampire the Masquerade in 1991, which was a different approach to how do we go do that gaming thing, but not a kill monsters and take their stuff dungeon crawl. Uh, so there were a bunch of people looking for that sort of thing and trying to like. Invent different styles of wheel, effectively, is the way I'd put it. Yeah, you also had Traveler, which is a totally different style system as well. But yeah, and I, I agree. They were also, it's like Pendragon came out at the same time, yeah. around the same time as D&D, like right after. And that was, from what I've seen of actual plays, that, that was a lot different. 
it was still more like the quest but it's like your character could die and oh you yeah. could definitely die in early D. <laughs> oh yeah you could die in all the DDs, but it's like yeah. that was the point of the game was to die and come back as your heir yeah yeah pendragon yeah, was, was... go ahead bren uh, i forgot what i was talking about uh, never mind the... I was going to say Pendragon is was definitely the you're playing a the Arthurian step time frame, but you're it's generational. Yeah, it's more like a dynastic thing. Yeah. Yeah. Which come to that, you know, L5R could totally like work with that type of model, but it's not built for it. It's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I have Bell's Rules for a LARP based on that model uh, on my hard drive right now. <laughs> I've been trying to convince people to run it as a game for about two years. <laughs> well, strangely, two pandemic years is hard for LARPing. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned it being uh, generational, which if you actually look at the way they did all 5R, it did sort of go generational mm-hmm. with with the Dragon Clan, which is what we're supposed to be focusing on. Yeah, we're supposed to be <laughs> so, focusing on. We're not gonna. I, yeah. I'm sorry. This is, it's us. But with the Dragon Clan, you had those the generational aspects, but they weren't as well-defined. You go to the Crab Clan, the Crab Clan had a very well-defined generations through the storyline. You started with Hida Kasada, with Hida Yakumo, Hida Sukune, Hida Oushi. Then you go into... Um, Hita Kowan and Hita Kuroda. There's three different generations that were throughout the the card game. Well, and speaking of things that I think the structure of the card game made difficult narratively, not that this is easy to necessarily pull off in novels either, but because they kind of wanted ongoing story and there were already the characters people knew and liked, there was this unwillingness to just kind of like say, okay, we're done with those characters and we're moving on to a new generation because people yeah. already liked the characters that are the generation passing away. Uh, and so you wind up with a kind of story where it's like an apocalypse every three years because you never have that, okay, a hundred years later kind of time jump that you might otherwise be able to do. Um, yeah, they all I remember when I first started reading um, the L5R books, uh, and I, uh, like first, I got, uh, my first L5R uh, edition was third edition. Uh, but I, because I got in right after it had launched, all my supplements were in second edition. And you read any of these books, and it, they all at the time, they all had these timelines of the history of the empire, whether it was a general timeline or based on whatever topic the book was on. And the first couple of time, like you read the timelines and the first two or three pages are all this happens, then 50 years, this happens, then 100 years later, this happens. And then you get to about like 1000 in the year in the calendar and things are like every two months, something has happened. It's like, Oh, we hit the, we hit the card yeah. game timeline. Got it. Yeah. 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 Uh, like the only book series that I think did it well enough, but even failed was uh, the Xanth series who went generational, but they, they have, he eventually just retcon like, Oh, well, I didn't retcon. He kind of made everybody young again from the original <laughs> generation. No, I, I've spoiler seen it. for a 
spoilers <laughs> for like a 30 year old 50 year old I, I don't know how old novel well in a, a series that i have deep reservations about these days but that's really off topic yeah um, yeah me too <laughs> but it, it, it can be done to move generationally like tamara pierce actually i think did this well with her mm-hmm. tortal books but it's i think l5r has kind of the comic book problem right where oh, yeah. people are really unwilling to let a generation just go you know, they, they keep on wanting those same characters they know. Mm-hmm. So we're all Togashi is really what we're saying here. None of us want to move on. <laughs> They're all Togashi. Nobody wants to move on. Yeah. Part of the, I say, part of the issue on. with them not moving on is part of the reason why I think it did actually finally end. Because if you're moving on with the characters, there's a need to buy new decks, new cards. It's like, oh, Togashi Mitsu is no longer around. He has passed away. Now his son, Togashi X, we're going to follow his, him for a while. Oh, they've passed away. Now their daughter, etc. So that actually I think would have been a better thing for AEG to do, to realize that, rather than, oh, we created these characters. Yes, these characters are like oh, we can't kill him ah yeah it's hard um but i like the well speaking of on the generational thing i really like what i don't know if it was your idea but you introduced it in your book the internal knot of the isazumi you know once an isazumi always an isazumi in every incarnation as at least a human yeah yeah that's something that um I, I had discussions with Fantasy Flight about this because one of the things we talked about fairly early on was like trying to just take the Isezumi and think them through because there's really a vibe. I, I was not around for the design of old 5R, but there really is a vibe of just somebody went, hey, tattooed monks are cool. And like that was all they bothered yeah. to think about. Uh, yeah. And so because my I very much have an interest in world building. Um, I have a whole Patreon about it. Plug, plug. Uh, and so it's the... All right, where do these guys fit in? Because they're not exactly about following the Tao of Shinsei. Uh, they're not exactly fortunist, but we call them monks. And like, what's what's kind of the, the core to what they are? And that was one of the things we talked about early on. And I think Katrina Ostrander was the one who said it to me. I don't know if it originated with her, but the idea that you know, once you bind yourself into the order, then yes, you will become an Isezumi in all of your subsequent lifetimes. And so they've kind of been building up their strength and not just in a, well, like, let's stop it. You've bound yourself karmically to this, the end, but that they needed those lifetimes to truly like master the power of the tattoos and so on, and to learn to act with full effectiveness. Uh, and that kind of gave a purpose and an identity to them. That was something other than just, Hey, tattoos are cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause I I've watched plenty of anime and there's like a lot of, um, East Asian and uh, there's a lot of literature and, uh, film and video games all over that have like magical tattoos yeah. and i see which i love them got it from yeah but you're yeah, absolutely it's a cool right trope. it was <laughs> it's it was also the fact that they were both samurai and yeah. monks <laughs> yep that's and another that place. other thing in there that was always very confusing <laughs> yeah i i there were definite muddinesses around that, which I'll, I'll say, actually, I don't entirely mind when things are muddy in that regard, because you look oh, at no. real world stuff and it often is way more like 
complicated, overlapping, contradictory stuff than the clear cut you are or are not X that we like to have, you know, especially in our games. Um, so the, the fact that that part was muddy, I was kind of okay with, but it was nice to have, to have a little more coherence around like why the tattoos, why the, the order, why does all of this exist? Yeah. Um, I've been trying to restrain myself from overly fanboying here, but as to say, when I read, uh, Eternal Knot, just in those first couple pages, um, where Togashi Kazue re-encountered those older memories and had to figure out what she remembered and that defined her and her tattoos. It was the first time that in all my years of loving the Dragon Clan that I was like, there's a reason why this order exists. There's a reason why they're here doing what they're doing up in the mountains. Yeah. And well, for the first time, it just it felt rich in a way that it never had before. So thank you for that. Yay. That is exactly what I was aiming for. And I will say, because we've been talking a bit about the ways that the structure of the way the storytelling is going on constrains what the story can do. I love the fact that they started up doing the clan novellas and now that Aconite is doing the novels because there's stuff you just can't do very effectively in a 3,000 word short story that's one of the tiles in a large mosaic of stories. Uh, and things like that are part of it because like I could have spent basically an entire 3000 word story doing nothing other than establishing oh the Isezumi reincarnate in the order but how does that move the main story forward it doesn't yeah that's actually one thing I will have to say about Aconite and Illinois I am a huge fan of reading basically I have bought every novel that's out I will admit that I have been lax at reading them all currently <laughs> you yeah. also worked like obscene amounts so that you're okay. forgiven so i only had 24 hours of overtime last week <laughs> this has been ongoing for years that don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i might cut this part out but i'm just teasing yeah. buell because of this yeah but no it's i've read the original novels I oh. consume them. The Clan War novels? Yes. <laughs> oh, I've not heard great things about those. <laughs> I enjoy them as a... Things. Yeah. There's good things. I've enjoyed them just as a love of a reader, loving reading. Yeah, there's... Look at time frames when they were written as compared to now and how much we've grown in different aspects. And a lot of the writers have grown. It's like, oh, this is your first first novel and take some time to, to grow. Like uh, I've been listening to a podcast. And the guy was talking about David Annandale and some of his old work. He was he's not a fan of David Annandale. He was talking about a new book by him. And he was like, I have to say, this is excellent work. David Annandale has grown as a writer. And so that's one of the things that has happened in the time it's some of the writers have grown from their original writing and getting all the feedback that has helped and they've gotten better. And also the way people write are based on what they see around them has changed. Cause I know we're talking, we're talking about some of these things like, Oh, the stuff was done back in the nineties. Well, if you look at what was going on in the nineties, what was commonplace, <laughs> what was suppressed, what was, yeah, this is a, uh, this is all cool. It's like, we oh, can't talk about this and look at now a lot of stuff has changed. So you can 
basically bring out different things in the novels than you could prior. So it can make for a more engaging stories. So it's, I've loved them just based on it's like, okay, I have to remember this was from this time frame. This is their idea of the world, their idea of what was proper, what wasn't. So if I look at it from that point of view, eh, okay, I didn't like these, these aspects, but the rest of the stuff was good. Or, yeah, I wish it hadn't read that novel, but hey, I've read it. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I, I'm, I'm just going to straight up say it. Like, uh, I would not see AEG putting this much queerness in their <sighs> novels as yeah. she has done. I, I will actually say, um, I, I know for a fact that when fourth edition was getting prepped, somebody mentioned with the dangerous beauty advantage, um, they suggested changing the wording so that it's not a you get a bonus to roles with members of the opposite sex, but rather like a bonus with people who might be attracted to you. And that didn't make it into the book. So I'm like, yeah, there's a situation where AEG explicitly had it called to their attention that they were, you know, really washing out any kind of homosexuality there and they chose to keep on washing it right out. So yeah, the queerness would not have flown there, I don't think. And I'm glad that Fantasy Flight has been much more open to that. Which part of that I think is also because of the age of the people in AEG. They Mm -hmm. came from an age that, oh, that was all taboo. Yeah. Yeah. I can't as well, but my attitude is, hey, I don't care. Yeah. Attitudes have changed a lot. It just gets me particularly in this context because if you take a look at Japanese history, male homosexuality, (laughs) kind of a thing there. Like... That, I mean, Take not that look at history in general. Well, yeah, but like it, an accepted thing, like it wasn't that it was some kind of, um, mm-hmm. you know, illegal or or ostracized kind of thing. No, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's, um, you know, you're, you're running into then the attitudes of the U.S. in the '90s, which were not necessarily yeah. so great around that. Oh. And <laughs> well, actually, you were talking about that. A lot of the people who were publishing RPGs professionally um, were people who had survived times at TSR. And TSR got raked across the coals during the um, satanic panic in the 80s yeah. and 90s. And I, I did an internship at Fast Forward Entertainment uh, where I reported directly to Jim Ward, who had been uh, – he was the highest place creative at TSR. And this was decades later. He was still basing business decisions based on what had happened, based on that experience at TSR. Now, AEG was not direct TSR people, but they were all people who had seen what had happened knew how bad it could get. By yeah. 20, uh, Fourth edition came out in what 2015 was it? Um, like they they should have done better by then. It's not an excuse, but you can understand the circumstances that led to them making bad decisions and marginalizing people. Um, I think part of the reason FFG did better is because there were a lot more employees at FFG. There were creatives there who themselves were uh, not just queer, uh, uh, trans, uh, gay, like all all the LGBTQIA plus categories. And we're very out about it. And you can see from the, because they're participating in the creative process, that affects the, the actual product that they create. Other groups that are not as well represented among the creatives there, they're still not as well represented within the games. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, it is definitely something where I found myself kind of looking when the uh, short fiction line started up again with the reboot. Um, we did have a couple of people writing at least part of the time who were either like, you know, part Japanese or in some fashion connected uh, to that. But it's still something where you go, yeah, this is still mostly being written by white people. Um, and there's some issues around that. I think Fantasy Flight has kind of piecemeal handled those issues better. I say piecemeal because there have been changes made along the way as well. Um, but they were just much more alert to cultural stuff. Uh, just one of the big reliefs I had when we were getting ready to start up was they sent out like a style guide. And one of the things in it basically boiled down to we're going to use the Japanese language correctly when we use it, as opposed <laughs> to the just grammar. <laughs> yeah, the utter atrocity. Like I, I joke that the the Rokugani name, I won't even call it the Japanese name, for the castle, the swift sword translates to, I have a Japanese dictionary and no idea how to use it. Like, <laughs> those, that's not what the words mean, but it's the meaning that comes out of that phrase, because that's just yeah. not how yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah. You know, you were talking about the Japanese, the homosexuality. I was watching a YouTuber, um, let's ask so Shoujo. He's out Shoto. of uh, Shoto, yeah. He's out of Kyoto and he actually he goes through a lot of the different aspects of Japanese history because he is Japanese and he's talking about it. And they talk talks about the geisha, their understudy, and then it talked about the male side of it. Yeah. So he yeah. brought up that, yes, this was something that was there. Yeah, it wasn't suppressed like our Puritan Paradigmatic. Mm -mm. Yeah, I want to say a lot of other words, but <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ask before we set off into this. Is swearing permitted? <laughs> I will just bleep it out. Yeah. If I okay. <laughs> yeah. Trust me. I in real life, I swear way too much to the point where I've had friends, to, uh, like very religious friends, say, "Hey, can you watch your language around my family?" I'm like, "Okay." I, I just I, I come and go on it. Trucker. My my, <laughs> yeah. uh, my grandfather was a marine trucker fought in every major well didn't fight in every major pacific battle was yeah. involved in every major pacific battle yeah and yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm not gonna I'm go capable of being stories. i'm capable of being clean but it was what i started talking about aeg's treatment of the japanese language that certain words started yeah. trying to come out <laughs> yeah. yeah i'll but just leave them out yeah <laughs> i'm former uh military spent yeah. 20 years in and even at work, I basically I'll talk with coworkers and I'll tell them what exactly think about the upper management and their <laughs> ideology. <laughs> and the number of the four letter words or very colorful words are very prevalent. <laughs> yeah. So we, we will swear a lot. Uh, I will just bleep it out if I catch it. Don't worry about it. Fair. Yeah. But back to L5R, because I was about to fall down a rabbit hole about profanity, and that is really off topic. <laughs> yeah, that is. Yeah. Especially since profanity in L5R didn't seem to be, at least the way they portrayed it in the books, a common <laughs> thing. At least yeah. not the way we Westerners would do it. Their yeah, profanity well, is very subtle. 
Yeah, Japanese swearing is just different in some fundamental ways from swearing yeah. in English. Uh, and in particular, the ways that we use it to be like rude to somebody, rudeness just operates along different axes in Japanese. Um, it's much more embedded in the way that you use the grammar to construct your sentence uh, or like which pronoun you're using to refer to somebody. Like if you watch anime, things that they translate with profanity mm-hmm. are often just words that mean you. And the yeah. hilarious part to me is that they're words that if you go go back like a thousand years that was actually a very polite way of saying you but now it's a really insulting one <laughs> like i know it's like every fan scan or scanlation that i've read as translates that really rude you into fuck you yeah exactly like, oh god yeah. It's, yeah it's like with the the term gaijin depending um because again i was watching this was a different youtube but they were talking about do Japanese consider gaijin to be offensive? And they were talking with a di- number of different, and most of them were like, no, gaijin just yeah. means non Japanese. There's, there's been, I think, a bit of a euphemism treadmill over there, just like we have in English, where like gaijin versus gaikokujin, which is yeah. like foreign country person instead of just foreign person uh, yeah. or outside, um, that like, yeah, I mean, there, there's you get the same shifting kind of things of, well, the underlying problem is, are you meaning it to be an insult when you say it rather than the word itself? Yeah. <laughs> exactly like we have in English, you know. Yeah. And thank you, because I was trying to remember Gaikoku Jin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, the more polite, I think, is viewed as more polite. It's like I was... Uh, Okay, I I really like pirates, which is weird that I don't really care for the Mantis Clan. But I I, <laughs> I did several research papers in community college about pirates. But there's this one book that was written in the 1700s called the history, the the histories of the most infamous the murders. Oh, that, uh, I cannot say it. It's a lot. I, I think I know what thing you mean, but I don't remember history the title pirates. either. Yeah. Yeah. It's history of pirates, and they use a word that is not as appropriated as it is today quite a lot when describing yeah. uh, minorities. I'm not yeah. saying that word. <laughs> I refuse to say that word. Uh, but it's just like, OK, yeah. And I was also listening to uh, Three Black Halflings uh, this this morning, and they were playing um, Harlem Unbound in the Call of Cthulhu. Which, yeah, they uh, they can use that word. I'm not using that word, but uh, they use that word a lot, too, when talking about the that uh, when they were role playing in that period. Yeah. OK, I think the book you mean is a general history of the robbers and murders of the most notorious pirates spelled That's with a it. Y, no less. Yeah, because <laughs> that is a English title. wasn't. A, yeah. yeah, it is. It's a weird, long book. And it's. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the with what you're mentioning of yeah, sorry. Uh, the terminology thing. Um, that's another discussion that happened with Fantasy Flight of talking about the uh, like untouchable cast, the Eta. Oh, yeah. And like Eta is an old term. It is one that is definitely considered kind of offensive in Japan today. And so there was discussion mm-hmm. of like, should the game use Burakumin? And my comment was basically 
using the term Burakamine while writing about this cast is kind of like writing a story that is set in the antebellum United States, but being very careful to call all of the slaves African-American. Like, yeah. I, I feel like you're doing something anachronistic there that doesn't address the actual social thing, which is the existence yeah. of this untouchable cast and what is our rationale for including it in the setting. And that's something that I think uh, there's been actually a shift toward this because when I wrote Night Parade, um, I I think... I was basically just advised to turn it to an English phrase, but I think that there's been sort of a feeling of we're just going to leave that out in general going forward. I don't remember what the the conversation I had with my editor was. I I, I hate to agree with your editor because when I'm doing a role playing game, unless a player wants to actively work with that cast. Oh, yeah. Evolving that they don't exist because they don't really it's really hard to you no know, it's it's absolute good comparison between the antebellum south and this cuz there's those uh there is another ask shono episode where he talks about this and they're still facing the same problems that they're fa- due to that heritage yeah there's still discrimination against anybody who's known to come from that kind of family background mm-hmm. and when it comes to a fantasy setting like L5R my feeling is don't go dropping that in there just for color and use, but historical, you know, reality as your justification for it. Yeah. Like it, it doesn't need to go in the setting unless you're doing something with it. And the game generally exactly. wasn't, other than providing targets that you know you can chop the heads off of and nobody cares. Like uh, I don't need that no. in my game. Yeah, I know when we started the Splinters of Jade, the first few or first uh, few months worth of episodes. Mm-hmm. There was times that we needed someone to clean up bodies. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I'm playing a crab. My character, I don't care about the blood because I deal with the Shadowlands. And so I get a little blood on me. I've gotten more as I was inspecting Shadowlands bodies, trying to learn what about them so I can counteract them. Mm-hmm. And initially, a few, I think there were a few times that I used the word, word. Yeah. because and it is using it as okay we need to get these people so that they can actually deal with these bodies because that is what their job is yeah While we're samurai technically that's not our responsibility and yeah, we did the biggest problems yeah I, I, yeah like, we did move I, I, away from that oh yeah because it's we're like okay to be non-offensive well, Let's yeah, and also, we it wasn't really needed. part of yeah. the story, like what Marie and I were saying. It wasn't a part of uh, Splinters of Jade. We weren't dealing with that social problem in this world, which I, I think is the only. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but actually, we, I say with the whole our whole story arc has fully moved away from even needing to even consider them. Yeah, because we've never had. And, situations where having someone of that cast come to clean up anything was necessary and there are there are other ways to handle it yeah my Uh, recommendation is just have some shinseis monks along like that's their duty is to tend to the bodies and see to the afterlife or maybe some priests of uh the god of death mo yeah yeah i would look at it from um again narrativist point of view 
is the game actually about the cleaning up of the bodies? Is that an important part of the game? In which case, yes, you do have to address how they're there. And that becomes a way to engage with this idea of the chaos system. And wait, why are there these people who are condemned to dealing with uh, with bodies and blood and all this horrible stuff? But if your game isn't about it isn't about the cleaning of the body, it's about um, you know, the fight that led to the bodies being there. That's where the focus mm-hmm. needs to be. Uh, yeah, yeah. When I, I would even frame it slightly differently, though. I agree with your underlying point, which is that um, is your game about the problems that come from the like pollution of touching dead bodies? But then there are things like, yes, you could have Shinsei's monks doing it, uh, or there are such things as purification rituals and so on. Like That's oh, yeah. a big part of Shinto. And so my question is not even, is your game about dealing with the bodies? It's, is your game about the horrific inequalities of this untouchable caste who is considered to be like permanently polluted. If you're not intending to grapple with that social stuff, which I think most of us don't want to do, then there's other routes. Yeah, I don't have enough experience or knowledge to deal with that. I'm sorry. Because I like messing with the purity part. Like that part's interesting to me because that part's spiritual and interesting, but I don't want to do the class oppression part. (laughs) Yeah, and I know when we were doing it, like I said, the first arc had... We were in cities where that would have been something you had seen. But as we've gone on, we've been traveling, traversing mm-hmm. across Rokugan. And yeah, so yeah. it's like we're out near the Shinnaman Forest and there's no one around. So, yeah. hey, let me call someone that's about 20 leagues to the <laughs> east. Ain't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so no. we went from. In being in an area where that would be an appropriate thing for the samurai to have done to an area where there's no way. And even, yeah, and just I'm going to try and give us get us back on the dragon. <laughs> I just want to comment that even even in ancient Japan, that was a very muddy area. Because mm-hmm. samurai took heads. Yep. That's how you like in, in Sengoku era. Uh, the Sengoku Jedi era, that's how you advance as a samurai, was taking the head of a very powerful warrior, of a general, of a leader, of a daimyo, and showing it to your lord. Yep, there was a whole ceremony. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You put the head on a stand, and your lord picks it up and looks at it. Yep, they they spent all their time, I mean, not juggling mm-hmm. heads, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and, and even like people would try and cheat, like say, oh, this is the head of a famous general. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's not him. I know him. I met him. I had dinner with him like a few nights ago before we had this battle. Yep. That's not him. <laughs> yeah. That's Bob, his servant. And, and that's part of what I mean about like the the sort of muddiness that real culture has, which we often, yes. you know, don't have in our fiction. It's like on the one hand, death is horribly polluting, etc. And on the other hand, we put heads on display and like mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep, both of those things can be true. We leave bodies and trees and stuff like that I, I i'm just remembering of the witcher but anyways back on the dragon clan um i'm gonna i'm just gonna go into new 5r into the revealing so if you haven't read adventures in rokugan um there were some changes to tagashi's origin that i'm like i'm I'm still a little bit on the fence about um especially uh fu lang's origin being a, being basically the same he was basically this uh 
the son of Amaterasu and another god from the land of the north. And I forget what that land is called right now. I'd have to talk about the Yobanjin or no, no, no. This is a completely new to the uh, Asmodee FFG uh, edge world. Of Rokugan, it's sort it's sort of like not fantasy Japan, China, not fantasy China. Okay. And basically, Togashi and Fulang are the children of that god and Amaterasu, and not Amaterasu and Onatongu. Uh, that so that was a big change. Uh, like I. <laughs> I uh, wish it wasn't buried ab- under a bunch of comics and other RPG books right now, but it's, that would take a lot of noise for me to dig out that book. Sorry. I, I haven't read uh, Adventures in Rokugan yet. I saw my list of things to pick up um, when I have a bit more mm-hmm. cash. But just hearing about it, I'm not opposed to that change. There was always this question of why, are to- to- why is Togashi different? Why does Fulang have a different name? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Fulang having a different name is always one of those weird holdovers from, you know, uh, 90s yeah, ridiculousness. We, well, that was a holdover from the 80s from a certain movie that was very that was very famous by. Yeah. Uh, oh, crap. I cannot remember the director's name, but I remember the movie's name. It was Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. Fulang yeah. was based off Lo Pan, was it? Yeah. Yes, um, though I think it's also an allusion to um, I want to say something in H.P. Lovecraft, uh, the yeah. Lost City of Lang, or the, the you know the yeah Lang is a place there. So I think you had a couple of influences colliding. Yeah. 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 And you're talking about the land Kengao. Okay. I, I, that sounds right. It, it was yeah, translated. I'm looking at it right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm fully looking at it. So it says okay, uh, you're looking at it. <laughs> yeah. Once while Lady Sun was exploring the far reaches of the heavens. Chinkarity Lord from an unknown land he called Chengo. So T I A N G U O. So I probably mis- mispronounced the last one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, you can tell I haven't read Adventures in Rokugan yet. I'm hit or miss on uh, things related to the RPG. Oh, yeah. So it's like I've I, I read it. I, I've read like most of the new Dragon Book. Like, I haven't gotten to the third chapter yet, and I just haven't had time. <laughs> so, but the third chapter has a bunch of stuff about the elemental imbalance, which oh. apparently is like, it's all mad made. It's 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 an analog for climate change, basically, is the way they put it. Uh, which I find very interesting, very apropos to our world. Like, hey, all this stuff we're doing with our magic is, you know, causing a bit of a problem. Which makes sense when you think about the way that uh, the elements are presented as being, mm-hmm. you know, the world around you. And so if you are doing stuff to manipulate them into the directions that you want, then, yeah, it actually makes complete cosmological sense that the elemental yeah. imbalance is being caused by this. Yeah. yeah, especially if you're forcing so much in one direction and not allowing to go the other direction or doing balance. Yeah. So that's that is a one thing I think that the dragon could be considered as they're trying to do the balance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to, so they're being they're as neutral as they can be. So they're not trying to take over the lands of the great clans nearest them, but hold up in their mountains and trying to just meditate upon 
what's going on. And but you well, go ahead. I say you've but also got the on. sacred land sect, which was perfect trying land, to sorry. change a perfect land. Thank you. Perfect land sect, which is trying to change the order. Yeah, the um, part of the problem we run into again, and this isn't even about like the constraints of a game and how it shapes the story, but Western storytelling in general with the, the just like what we expect out of a plot, what we expect out of our characters is very bad at telling stories about people who attempt to maintain balance, right? Like yeah. we are very much built around the one side overcomes the other kind of story. And so something about trying to maintain balance often seems very passive and unengaging to us. Uh, so I think that is something that you absolutely could do with the dragon, but how you make it a story that a, a Western and especially um, American audience is going to, you know, enjoy and get into, that's hard. Um, oh, yeah. I it could see by, it by what you in, mean by balance. Um, yeah. True. Like if, if the whole idea of um, like Gary Gygax again with old D&D, the idea of Mordenkainen was he sees the balance of good and evil. It's like, well, no, you don't really actually want evil to be equal to good there. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's to, uh, the same with... It, one place, one, one uh, creator who almost got it right was George Lucas. Um, when, yeah. uh, no, no, I'm, I'm going to defend this. I, I'm, I'm okay. putting my foot down. Uh, right. his, his idea before he went off the rails was that the Jedi themselves were balanced. Balance doesn't mean uh, altruism uh, for everyone, but it means that everyone has their place in the uh, in the galaxy, and that's what the Jedi were supposed to be. Now he drank his own Kool Aid and made the Jedi you know, the best ever, and so balance meant tearing them down. Super but the similar, original idea of, um, of Anakin restoring the balance was supposed to be uh, that the Sith were the ones out of balance. Now you can have the dragon mm -hmm. defending the balance if there is some, not as in they're trying to play one force against another, but as in they see something that is really out of balance, i.e. the elemental problems that everyone is creating, and they say, we need to fix this problem. That is an active yeah. role. I could see that, yeah. Um, I'll, I don't want to fall too far down a Star Wars rabbit hole, but I will say that the, mm -hmm. the story that Lucas told me... We've I don't down every other rabbit hole tonight. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, What's one more? Holes. Yeah. Um, I don't think this is the story Lucas meant to tell, but I walked away from the prequel trilogy going, okay, so the entire thing about, like, you know, Jedi good, Sith bad is absolutely Jedi propaganda. Um, yeah. They are just the path of detachment and the path of attachment, and both of them can lead to evil because I felt that Obi-Wan walking away from these screaming, mutilated remains of a man that he considered a brother was absolutely an act of evil. Uh, oh, yeah. No, totally it. yeah. And as, and, as you said, it's a hard story to tell. Yeah. Um, it, I think later he went with that, like, hey, yeah, I was always meant the Jedi to be evil because, hey, they, yeah, and whole like they detach themselves from basically breeding breeding sentient beings strictly for the sake of dying in a war versus another manufactured but also equally as sapient beings also well, that, fighting the that same takes war us back to uh, like, l5r then is dragon yeah. were the opposite dragon were originally supposed to be the bad guys in old 5r 
until they got too popular, and then now they're yeah. actually saving everyone. Same thing well, for Mantis. Yorkham was supposed to I'm be not sure that I would say that. originally, just because yeah. I think the Scorpion were originally the bad um, guys. Yeah. But. Actually, look at Togashi Yukuni's original art, and once you start, stop questioning anatomy and get over that hurdle, <laughs> tell, me, tell me he's not supposed to be the villain. Okay, he's not. Pull this up. I'm going to pull this up. So, so while Bren's pulling that up, in the original L5R, the villain was Fu Lang and the Shadowlands. That was the villain for everything. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Each yeah, that's member. Shredder, right. That is Shredder yeah. to a T. Yeah. Yes. That that is like some Frank uh, Rob. No, Rob Liefeld esque art. Yes. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> but each say so each member of the great clans mm-hmm. had their jobs. Yeah. And the scorpion. Some would say that they're, they're the villain. No, the scorpion were there to do the jobs that the other clans wouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah. They were there to make sure that one clan doesn't get too overpowerful and thereby shift the whole order completely one side. Though my impression, and correct me if I'm wrong because I was not around for this, but I thought that in the very, very, very earliest release of the game, the Scorpion were not a playable faction. They were not. Nor were the Shadowlands. Yeah. Uh, Because I think it started with, like, the Scorpion Clan coup was, I think, the first, like, thing that happened, and so they started out disbanded, basically. It it was for the Scorpion Clan coup. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Imperial Edition was the first edition. Okay. Then came Scorpion Clan coup. Okay. And yes, in Scorpion Clan Coup, they were not together. They had been banished to uh, the Burning Sands. And it's when they came back together and said, after Scorpion Clan Coup, Arc Clan Coup, uh, then they became a faction. But it was in the Scorpion Clan Coup Arc, you get the Shadowlands. Um, I may be a bit wrong on this. I'm trying to remember my arcs. But it was like it's Imperial, then you had. The Shadowlands come as a faction to be the bad guys, be the true bad guys. Because as you said, Scorpion weren't originally a faction. Yeah. There was only six factions. Yeah. And they also had the Nizumi and the Naga becoming factions. Um, I think I am probably okay with my NDA to talk about this because I'm, I'm about to bring up something that was considered years ago and discarded, so I'm not giving away any upcoming thing. We did actually talk for a little bit of time about the possibility that the reboot would have featured the Dragon Clan coup. You know, just like, <laughs> everybody's looking for the Scorpion to do this, we're like, psych! <laughs> we're turning it yeah. around. <laughs> I would okay. I, I honestly think I that could have be been afraid. fascinating. Because it would have been done very much, like, as you had with the original Scorpion Clan coup, that it's not done from a position of wahaha villainy. It's done from a position of, I think this is what needs to happen, you know, by the characters, Maybe and that it leads to trouble, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, uh, I can see that happening in the current... Sorry, with the elements being out of balance, the dragons like, okay, we need to get this back in balance because it is things that it's affecting fix them because they're up there in the mountains, they're meditating and it's pulling them. So they need to do something to bring it back into balance. Yeah. Which you could take that in a bunch of interesting directions, some of them more um, palatable than others. You're yeah. making me really want to run like the Dragon Clan eco terrorist game now. 
<laughs> I, you know, you could do it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it would be very easy to do with the way the dragon are set up because they are there. And as we have the a perfect land sect mm-hmm. that is started sort of in the Dragonlands and they started in Phoenix Lands. Right, yeah. Phoenix Land, they yeah. moved over. And I think the Phoenix, if I remember correctly, I, the Phoenix are pretty much trying to hunt them down. The yeah, dra- they've outlawed like, it as a heresy, yeah. yeah. And the dragon are like, as long as you don't interfere with us, go ahead, live, do what you want. Yeah, except for towards the end of the storyline, the dragon started like, I think because they were getting pressure. They didn't really say this in the story, but they, it felt like they were getting pressured by the other clans. Hey, you got this heretical cult that says the ruling class is the problem. Yeah. Can you start dealing with that? Yeah, they they were definitely getting pressured by the Phoenix. I don't remember what we said outright, but this is definitely the impression we wanted to give. You know, the dragon and Phoenix generally get along, but they have this major point of conflict over the dragon being willing to tolerate the perfect land and the Phoenix definitely aren't. Um, And meanwhile, the dragon have their whole like birthright problem. And so they were, you know, having a lot of intermarriages with, say, the unicorn. Yeah. um, Uh, And we'll get into that. Yeah, well, we can come back to that one. Um, But the Phoenix also not super fond of the unicorn and their name magic and so on. And so we were definitely trying to play up political tensions that weren't of the we invade you and take your land sort, but more of the, um, you know, the push and pull of, okay, but we need this ally for this thing, but they don't like this other thing. So are we willing to compromise on that in order to and so on? Yeah, and and I, I just just relate that i i really liked that aspect of the political stuff because that's it, it's not always i don't i don't know it's like oh i'm trying to think of words here i can't yeah, think of words the, i'm sorry having the political dichotomy like that is it does make a different style of game and different style of setting than the oh we're a lion, we're going to invade the crane. We're a lion, we're going to invade the scorpion. We're a lion, we're going to invade X. Yeah, and there's there's problems with that setup um, in a couple of different respects. You know, One is that, on the one hand, you want the clans warring against each other because card game stuff, but on the other hand, nobody's borders ever really change meaningfully. Like, there's a few cities that have changed hands a couple of times, but the clans basically still all have more or less the territory they've had for a thousand years. So all that warfare accomplishes nothing. Um, I also will die on the hill we probably shouldn't climb in the first place of uh, there being problems with the way the emperor's power over Rokugan gets presented and then the way everybody in Rokugan behaves. Because, no, having your vassals all fight each other as a way of making them stronger is not actually a sensible way to run a realm. Like, that's a terrible idea. That only happens if you're not strong enough to stop them. (laughs) Though, I see it more as he lets them fight as long as it doesn't get to full-blown warfare skirmishes yeah because that way it's not necessarily that they're getting stronger but they're not coming after him yeah what you do is you turn and point them at outside like outside your borders you don't want them fighting each other because even skirmishing is destroying the rice fields and other things that are raising the revenue for your realm you don't benefit from that Like, if you look- um, from, a, from a game perspective, that obviously causes issues of external threats. Uh, like AG tried yeah. external invasions. Oh, yeah. 
limited success. But I, I like the way that Here's a Rokugan, uh, especially Here's a Rokugan, I think it was uh, two handled it, um, which was, yeah, it, here's all here's all the clan champions. Here's the emperor. They're all really bad at their jobs. Like all the yeah. stuff you see at the game that don't make sense. Like yeah, that same character. They all suck at it, and that creates space for the players to do all the cool stuff. Yeah, 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 and it's it's mostly that when you present me with a realm that apparently for a thousand years has had the clans fighting each other, like the Sengoku Jidai didn't last for a thousand years in Japanese history. It was more it limited. It lasted a long time. It did. It was, like, what, expand it their borders. Like they don't have any, any roads to carry food to the new places. Yeah, but <laughs> I, I will state like um, the art of war. It, it really should be called the art of peace because mm. like half that book the uh, Sun Tzu is like saying war costs a lot of money and does a lot of damage. It is not a good thing. You yeah. want to solve these problems fast. Yep. <laughs> and get back to peace where you can make money and collect taxes. Yeah. Which sadly, I wish uh, I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. No. <laughs> yeah. No real life politics. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. This, this, this. Yeah, but so we're dealing with the the dragon in that. So having that political aspect, it does fit in with the dragon mentality because okay, the dragonfly they're the basically go between with the clans and the actual dragon. Yeah, yeah, the clans may not like it because oh, that's just a minor clan, but the dragon used them because they're at the base of the mountain and to get up into all the mountains that the dragons like that are make it so easy for them to do what they want. You have to go through these, these people. You don't necessarily have to have to, like there are other approaches, but yeah. Yeah. And it's, but they, so then you have that, that aspect where it's like, okay, if you do have coming from other areas, the dragon can counteract it. Yeah, you come it, with it as a political. Now, it's like, OK, how do we work with these clans, work with our brothers to solve this issue where they disagree with how we're doing stuff? Yeah. And for that to work, it also hinges on there needs to be stuff that the dragon need from other people, because if they're completely self-sufficient, then what do they care, right? But that's the other aspect here is because of the birth rate problem, the dragon were in this position of simultaneously really wanting to solve that and also really not wanting to tell anybody they had the problem in the first place, uh, <laughs> because it makes you look super vulnerable, because you are. Uh, so they want the help of the phoenix in solving it, but they can't admit they need help for that. And also the phoenix are pissed at them for these other things they're doing. That's how we got and that dynamic. I, I, will, I will say, spoiler alert for anybody who has not read uh, Red of the Wilds, they reveal what may is the most likely cause of it, which is the very existence of Togashi as a god living among the dragon. Yep. Yeah. Yep, so they that finally was, revealed that in the in Rid of the Wilds. I, I don't think I knew that was in Rid of the Wilds, but I'm glad that it is because it means I don't have to not talk about that now. <laughs> yeah, it, it was revealed there. So, Good. Yeah. Yay, another thing that I can actually talk about. Yeah, that okay, was cool. that was again one of the, the discussions that we were having early on in the planning. And I kind of ran through the possibilities because it was open when I first came in of like, we want the dragon to have this birth rate problem, but they hadn't necessarily settled what the cause was. And I kind of ran the table of possibilities. I'm like, it can't be like 
a an environmental sort of thing because you know the following reasons and so on and it needs to be some reason that you've got the agasha you've got the kitsuki they've had you know how long in order to investigate this and try to figure it out we don't want them to just look stupid for not getting it uh so yeah that was the answer we settled on um i can't remember if i'm the one who proposed it or not but uh yeah that when you have this you know godlike figure staying among you for hundreds upon hundreds of years that creates issues <laughs> yeah and it also explains why okay if because one of the is one of the weird things i always thought about the original old 5r was okay if Tagashi stayed why didn't everybody else stick around too that could have because i know there was some like uh I think like he does was originally an old five R like locked in battle with the Oni that was his son for eternity or something like that. And some others just got too depressed and left. I think a Kodo made a mountain fall on his own head to block. Yeah. Pass, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The like, yeah. It, it, it makes a lot more sense the way, cause in, new in new five R, it was revealed at the very end of the series in the uh, very end of the storyline that uh the tattoo master who i completely yep. forgot gaijutsu, gaijutsu. <laughs> yeah togashi gaijutsu <laughs> yeah was togashi all along i i i begged katrina and tyler to let me shove that somewhere into the finale because if we had wrapped up the storyline without that becoming public meaning i couldn't talk about it i was going yeah. to explode yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, i remember the day that I got the dragon discord just exploded about it yeah and yes. yeah i will say that any of us that were the from the old l5r not having it revealed that hey togashi actually was still here it had been a let down because yeah. of an old alphabet. Yeah, Tagashi was there. Tagashi was the head of the Dragon Clan, just in different guises. So, yeah. and I'm like, making this is where change? I was going. Yeah, yeah, this is where I was going with that. It was it makes sense for the dragon to like the dragon would have uh, Tagashi would have the wisdom to step aside and let mortals, and that explains why the others like either died or left or. I, I I don't remember exact. I used to remember how they all died, or or disappeared for some reason. But yeah, like, I think a lot of them disappeared. But, yeah, but it, it made no sense to me. Like, okay, if you were a mortal being and you could rule over this country forever, why didn't you? Yeah, there needs to be a consequence to doing that, um, or yeah. reasons why you don't want to. Uh, yeah, with, with Gaijutsu. Go ahead. I would say with most of the Mikami, it was, hey, we need to basically leave the world to our, they say our, our followers and stuff and not be there. Um, Otaku. I think that's based on the Kairin. Uh, no, Shinjo was. Uh, yeah, Shinjo. Was, yeah, Shinjo. Yeah, Shinjo. Was, uh, Shinjo just. Hey, I'm bored. I want to go explore. Took most of the Kairin with her and went into the burning sands. Yeah. Um, and I wanted, because I, I definitely um, pitched to them that it should be Gaijutsu. And it was because, like, number one, I knew that people had a lot of kind of 
problems with the way the whole Tamashi thing and the, the body hopping had been handled. Um, and it does fit with Togashi with the, the whole idea that he has this foresight, right? He can see where things are going, but there was also that kind of like the more directly he interfered with it, the more he muddied his own ability to see where anything was going, hence being a hermit in the mountains and so forth. Uh, and it definitely fits the flavor of the Dragon Clan of Ah, uh, Kami has secretly been, you know, living among us all this time, trying to guide things toward the best possible fate that he can manage. And so I wanted to keep that. But it never actually felt right to me that he was the clan champion, because that felt too direct and not quite enough in the like mystical wuxia feeling that I think the dragon are are suited to. And so I, you know, looking at Gaijutsu, like so the blind tattoo master who he tattoos people with like the images that come to him in a vision because like they don't pick their tattoos. They get what Gaijutsu chooses to give them. And the tattoos are made with Togashi's blood with questions around how do they get a continual supply of Togashi's blood and so on and so forth. It just felt right. Yeah, it, it, I, I will say when, the, the, when uh, the final story came out, um, I did have to go back and reread all of Gaijutsu's scenes in the Eternal Mind. Yeah. And I wish we had been able to give a more onstage appearance because that was the downside. We weren't going to reveal it that early. Like we had some nebulous no. plans for further story with that. When the conclusion came, it was like, okay, no, we got to just, we got to say this or. Oh no, they, they, they were, yeah, you they, nailed they, it. They, like it's ever, just they, enough to say, to, to get that little bit of, okay, this makes more sense now, but not so much that you're answering every, like it, it is just the right amount. You, you hit it on the spot. Yeah. Which also, I will say that you did introduce uh, the urn that set, was said to produce the blood. Yeah. Now is now it leads to the question: Did it produce the blood? Did- I think it does. Like this, this is not canon that I am telling you here. So there is no NDA. Yeah. My personal feeling is it is a Numerani that is always full of his blood. It's not like he's sneaking down there and like cutting his wrist every few weeks or yeah. something. <laughs> um, just because I think that fits more with the genre of what's going on there. So I think it is a Numerani that just will endlessly supply it. But that's my take. That is not necessarily canon. Yeah, yeah. yeah but so. it does fit though as an idea. I mean, Numerani that is spiritually connected to him yeah so it's and being mystical and spiritual connection it's like oh it can do this without the need for physical yeah well and i would say like if togashi finally has to leave the mortal world and like return to the heavens or something mm-hmm. maybe the number i stops working i don't know like that would be an interesting oh that shit no more isezumi just thinking too that would be interesting yeah, because I think, um, you know, we sort of show this through the fact that uh, Mitsu has the vision that he has in that finale. Mm-hmm. The uh, the tattoos do connect the Isezumi to Togashi. Like the yeah. fact that they are tattooed with his blood forges a connection there. Uh, we had some plans for what we were going to do with that. I don't know if any of them will ever come to fruition. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we don't know. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe in novels in the future. I don't know. Uh, what I wanted to do actually was have like somebody during the clan war stuff just like assassinate Yokuni, and so Mitsu is suddenly bearing the burden of the connection to Gaijutsu that Yokuni has, but without the armor to help. <laughs> so I was going to totally like yeah. inflict that on him. <laughs> and you did, you did, or I think it was you who did that. Yeah, because just briefly in that scene where he gets the briefly vision, briefly in that uh, one scene where he's like. Oh my god, this is absolute pain, and I yeah. collapsed to the ground. Yeah, but <laughs> I wanted to... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it also explains, like, okay, why is this armor still here if Togashi isn't 
Togashi, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the things we had to do, was we needed to explain why the armor, if it's not to hide the fact that it's him all the time. Uh, I When I say the, the thing of, like, I wanted to have Yokoni assassinated, it was mostly because I wanted to watch people's heads explode, because so many players were assuming that, yeah, Yokoni was Togashi. Oh, yeah. So, so if we had, like, just, like, straight up murdered him in a story, it would have been hilarious to watch the reaction. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I might have just... Like oh that would have been that would have been weird. yeah yeah I would have loved to do that and have that be how it came out that it was Gaijutsu but that was not what happened so no, no. but along the lines of uh, like the only family I think we haven't mentioned is the Miramoto which I always thought was the weirdest addition to the basically the Chinese clan was the most Japanese. <laughs> inspired samurai family like the, the basically the legend Miyamoto Musashi the clan that's based off him I always thought that was weird the, the, yeah well I, I mean I, with I, the the dragon oh go ahead please after you I the dragon clan families they were basically selected on the principle of, I don't know, well, like what's weird and different from everybody else um, in ways that don't necessarily make sense. Because like I agree with you that when you look at the kind of Chinese influences on the Dragon Clan, then the Miramoto are out of place. But on the other hand, if you look at it from the perspective of does it make sense that these traditions would exist in this particular group? like. So the Agasha are the alchemists who do stuff that involves lots of really expensive, rare, like, ingredients and stuff, and yet they're this fairly impoverished clan up in the mountains. And the Kitsuki, why exactly did they develop, you know, sort of Sherlock Holmes investigation when they're isolated up in the mountains? <laughs> like, those don't make sense, but the Miramoto are fine from that perspective. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, because me and... Miyamoto Musashi was uh, at least in the novel Musashi by Edgy, I think. Oh, I got to look it up. I don't remember. Uh, oh, crap. My phone threw it across the bed so it wouldn't buzz. Dang it. It's on my phone. But <laughs> the novel, he was always compared to as the outsider. Like, he the dragon always defined themselves the... as. Go Sorry, I, th I thought you were done. Keep going, please. Oh, no. Oh, so he was always the outsider. Like he was the upstart. He was he, he was basically almost self-taught, uh, at least in the in the book. I uh, this is nothing compared to the actual Miyamoto Musashi, who we don't know. We actually don't know a lot about his early life. We just know he's got what, what was it like 67 confirmed wins in duels. I, I can't remember the exact number. And that's an impressive number. It, it, it's an impressive number. But he was always prepared, like, like in his duel with, uh, um, oh, crap. I cannot remember the family's name. It was uh, the Yoshida, was it? The Yoshida clan? This was the duel on the uh, on the beach, right? No, no, no. This was the duel with the school. The Kendo okay, School. No. I don't remember the family's name. I know it was like S S S. Oh God, I cannot pronounce it though. Uh, how's it spelled? 
Oh, I cannot remember. I, okay. I, I, I listen to books. I don't read them. Yeah. Because I have a lot of learning disabilities that make it very difficult for me to focus on the written word. That makes it hard to know how to spell things. Yeah. Yeah. Spelling is my I, I cannot spell things. I cannot write handwrite anything and I cannot spell. I have to do everything on the computer it, or else it's just illegible. But that's just me. But it, they were the establishment in that book. and to. Uh, not Togashi. We kept talking about Togashi, but Miyamoto was the outsider and upstart that was upsetting the order of that. So when you're talking about uh, Musashi, which duel was it? Do you remember? Because I pulled up his uh, the, the wiki and it's talking about uh, at the age of 16, defeated a powerful adept by the name of Tereshima Akiyama. No. Okay, so not that one. It was because he went against a very prominent kendo school and basically wiped them out. That's the legend. The truth is a little bit more muddier. (laughs) Yeah, the history handedly wiped them out because, like, uh, I've heard that. Oh wait, it wasn't him. It was his disciples. And yeah, but. It's just like history. It's surprisingly what we don't know, what we think we know about history is not actually true. Well, because when you when you get past the, you know, earlier than the last couple hundred years, uh, you know, our record is not very complete. There's lots of stuff that we don't know. Uh, History is way more full of holes and, and, you know, patches and people contradicting each other than people usually try to think. Like so to, to take that back to um, the dragon families, yeah. um, I think it's like you're you were saying uh, Miyamoto didn't fit, and you read the, the origins of the dragon. Like it, they're all the people that didn't fit in the rest of the empire. That's why they went to Togashi. But yeah. another way that I like to look at it is what is each clan's purpose? Or what is each family's purpose? Nigasha are they're looking for truth, but they're looking at truth uh, in the natural world through experimentation. Um, I think there's more that could be done with Taoist alchemy, but that also gets yeah. into some real-world cultural appropriation issues. But so eh, not that L5R is not full of those anyway. But <laughs> well, no. um, but the whole idea, uh, the whole idea of, of the of the Agasha approach is we're going to experiment. We're going to figure out what is what this world is made out of. Whereas the Kitsuki's approach is we're going to observe the world. We're going to see how the different pieces interact and how they fit together. And the Togashi's approach is we're going to look inwards to understand the world. The uh, the outside world we're trying to stand is the inner world. And I love the Miramoto in that regard because they're saying, we don't care about any of that. We're here to make sure that the rest of you are able to do that. Yeah, the Miramoto very much are the like the the, the practical we're going to carry the burden for the rest of you weirdos. Like, I kind of love them for that. The enablers that keep you all going. (laughs) Yeah, we we need to make sure that you guys remember to eat dinner and have the money to buy dinner in the first place. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. like I was talking with Jay and Yong a a long, long time ago um, about that. And I just made the joke like it's all in the first fictions like they are the enablers of the dragon clan they're the ma- they're the managers yeah they make sure they're the they're the mom <laughs> they're the team they're the group mom yeah 
which is a very underappreciated role, and we should honor them more for it because, you oh, know, yeah. you can't all just be weirdo flakes doing your thing. You will starve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so is that why I keep finding food near me? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> because someone is looking out for you. <laughs> All right. So anything else about the Dragon Clan that we can think of? Um, well, we let's see, we hit the uh, birthright thing, nature of Togashi, nature of the Seizumi, different families. I mean, I could talk more about the perfect land stuff if you want. It's not specifically a dragon thing, but. Mm, well, I think we'll cover that in a different episode if we want to bring it, if you want to come on to that, because that, that's more of a. That I'm going to have to do some research because I know it's loosely based off a real sect of Buddhism. Yeah, it, pure land Buddhism. I, I would actually be happy to come back for that because I definitely was elbow deep in talking. Like Fantasy Flight had the idea for the perfect land sect uh, being based on, on pure land Buddhism. And I kind of rolled up my sleeves and went, OK, let me talk about the history of how pure land Buddhism developed and what we need mm -hmm. to rethink in order to make this work in Rokugan. So yeah. when you have that episode, let me know. <laughs> Okay, I will. I will. It's going to be a while because this is a quarterly podcast, and we we've got we got to go through the fifth, the clans first. So, <laughs> this yeah, is only three. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you'll get back to me in twenty twenty four. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's fine. No, honestly, I've, I've been telling people that if I were to go by numbers, I would be doing this podcast over. Uh, Splinters of Jade, because Splinters of Jade has less d downloads, but more effort. Well, over this one has more <laughs> listens versus less effort. Yeah. And I, I've so. said, I think the reason why it's a little bit different, because here we're, it was Brandon, myself, me being the old school, him being new school, talking about the differences. And yeah. so people can hear how things have changed from two different persons' point of view, where with that Splinter G, it's actually a role playing session. We're all working together. Yeah. yeah. And, so, I, and I also throw a lot of effort into it. Like I put sound effects and like music and background noise and all that. Oh, stuff. yeah. That, that adds that. a lot of labor. <laughs> it's a lot of labor. It's, it's really a labor of love rather than uh, actual money making because I think I've been running in the, we've been running in the red technically. If I were to look at it as a business, I've been running in the red since we started. Yeah. yeah, which reminds me, I need to re up my uh, my card for the uh, yeah, what we're using because bring that up. I'll cut this part out, but, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyways, is this okay. where we tell your listeners to like and subscribe? <laughs> like and subscribe, download our podcast, and anyways, speaking support of support the Patreon, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess <laughs> I don't know. I've been kind of iffy about the Patreon since for a bit, but that's personal issues because I don't like Patreon and their policies. And also FFG doesn't and Asmodee don't seem to like Patreon too much, but eh, whatever. So how about we can speaking of Patreon, how about we all plug our stuff and where you can support us? Starting with I'm going to go backwards with Alex first. Uh, OK, I was not prepared for this. Um, Sorry. Uh, if you want to support me with L5R, uh, I'm part of Emerald Legacy. Uh, you are welcome to support the Emerald Legacy Patreon because I don't have one. Uh, so we can just keep the L5R card game going. Uh, if you want to read the stuff that I'm writing about the Dragon Clan, it's on the Emerald Legacy website. Uh, 
again, I, I don't have an NDCA, an NDA to worry about, but I don't want to give spoilers either, but there is some cool stuff with the dragon coming up very soon. Um, so, yeah, I, I can talk about my personal life if you want to contact me about dance lessons, but I don't think that's the What kind of dance? Oh, uh, I, I'm a full-time ballroom dance teacher. Oh, okay. I I don't know much ballroom, but I did 13 years of ballet, so I perked right up. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, to, right. if you if you come to Gen Con next year, uh, I run classes there. Would love to have you in one of them. We'll comp we'll comp your ticket, Marie. Oh, fantastic! Everyone else pays full price. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Marie, where can we find you and support you in your endeavors? Uh, well, so in addition to writing stuff for L5R, I write many, many things that are not L5R. Uh, the Memoirs of Lady Trent, starting with A Natural History of Dragons, is my best-known series. Uh, but I also write under the name M.A. Carrick, which I think I mentioned, the epic fantasy Rook and Rose trilogy that starts with The Mask of Mirrors. Uh, if you search for my name, you should find me pretty easily, but swantower.com is my website, or macarrick.com for the joint stuff. And I mentioned I also have a Patreon uh, that is uh, called New Worlds, and it is all about world building. Um, I collect the uh, weekly essays into yearly collections that you can find uh, for sale as ebook and print. So there are many, many ways to get hold of my stuff. All right. And uh, you know where you can find me and Buell. Uh, basically, support, uh, I don't know, support the Splinters of Jade Patreon. <laughs> I don't know. All right, so that that's us signing off. Bill, you have anything last words? Not really. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being on, Marie and Alex. I I think this was a great episode. Great, a uh, lot of stuff, a lot of surprises, a lot <laughs> yeah. of rabbit holes. Uh, <laughs> there were all good rabbit holes that needed to go down. <laughs> and and this is actually one of the things I think a lot of the listeners do like is the back and forth. But even if it's not, it's like, oh, we're going to talk about Dragon Clan. Uh, let's go with Musashi. Let's go with this. Pirates. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't love pirates? Talk about Dragon like at least twice. <laughs> no, I think yeah. it's four times. <laughs> yeah, we, okay. we got a lot least. of changes. All right. <laughs> bye bye, everybody. Bye. bye.